0: From the Bristol Herald Courier, I'm Delana Matthews, and this is On The Record. This week, listen to audio from the League of Women Voters Washington County Forum at the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Center in Abingdon. The county's four candidates for sheriff answered audience questions about decisions they would make in the role. Josh Cumbo, the incumbent commonwealth's attorney, Commissioner of Revenue David Henry, and Treasurer Fred Parker also spoke briefly at the event.
1: I'm Mary Jennings, President of the Legal Women Voters of Washington County. <laughs> tonight, candidates for sheriff will make opening and closing statements and answer your questions. I'm sorry to tell you that Nicole Price, candidate for Commonwealth Attorney, and Mark Matney, candidate for Commissioner of Revenue, will not be participating tonight. They agreed to be a part of the forum in the summer, but last week they both decided they didn't want to participate. In fairness to you, the audience who came to hear the candidates, Josh Cumbo and David Henry will each speak for a few minutes after the sheriff's candidates. We would also encourage you to come to the Washington County Educational Associations Forum for candidates for the Board of Supervisors and School Board. Thursday, October 24th at 6.30 at the NEF Center. And now, would you please welcome Teresa Kelly.
2: Thanks Mary, and thanks to the League of Women Voters for allowing me to participate in this important event. I think that we all agree that it is a right and a privilege uh, to participate and be involved in the election process. And so I thank the candidates for all being here to participate. And tonight, we hear from all four of the candidates who are running for sheriff. The purpose of this event is for candidates to address the broad range of topics that need the sheriff's attention. Thus, a panel of league members chooses questions from those that you have submitted. And the decision that the league makes is which uh, questions to choose just so that we cover a variety of topics. Uh, Each candidate will have two minutes for opening remarks, two minutes to respond to questions, two minutes for closing remarks. So at this point, I will read the bios and we will introduce each candidate for the opening statement. And we're doing this in alphabetical order. Blake Blake Andes is on your left. And Blake is a lifelong resident of Washington County. He's a graduate of Virginia Highlands Community College and is pursuing a degree from Bluefield College. He attended the Southern Police Academy at the University of Louisville. During his 23 years at the Washington County Sheriff's Department, he attained the rank of Chief Deputy Sheriff. For the past seven years, Mr. Andes has worked as campus police chief at Virginia Highlands Community College, in addition to continuing his work as a firearms instructor. Honest, reliable, and experienced is Mr. Andes' campaign message. So Mr. Andes, your opening statement.
0: I'm Blake Andes. Uh, like she said, I was born and raised here in Washington County. Grew up on a family farm, still live on that farm today. Uh, that's where I pretty well uh, attained uh, how the hard work is. Uh, ended up going to Abington High School, graduated, and uh, been married to my wife Kim uh, for 29 years. We have two two youngins. Uh, one of them is uh, out in the workforce. The other is still in uh, Washington County School System. And uh, the uh, is that a minute and a half? Good Lord. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll try to fill in what all my qualifications are during this. Uh, Thing, but that was uh, pretty quick um, like she said i was chief deputy for eight years uh, i was over the entire uh, sheriff's office uh, other than the sheriff uh, pursued uh, that that included the jail and uh, everything uh, that the sheriff's office pertains to uh, fortunately the county don't have the uh, jail anymore so uh, then we ended up we got uh, animal control In 2012, I ended up going to the uh, Virginia Highlands Community College, where I've been chief of police there, running my own department. Uh, I have experience in the uh, budget process. Am I a minute and a half again? What? Okay.
2: Okay. We got I, think difficulties. We've, I think maybe we've gone a little bit over, Mr. Endes, so take advantage of this extra time. Okay. Uh,
0: as far as uh, running the, the sheriff's office, or the police department, uh, I do have experience in working with uh, the budgets, the administration, and uh, the uh, community. Uh, communities are my first, uh, and that's what I want to help
2: thank you thank you we do apologize that's fine a little rough start we'll get it all straightened out uh, next in alphabetical order and to mr Anderson's left is marty berry marty Barry is a native of washington county and a graduate of abingdon high school until his retirement as patrol captain this year mr Barry had worked for the washington county sheriff's department for 37 years in addition uh, in additional public service mr Barry served 42 years the Abingdon Fire Department, earning the rank of Captain, and 16 years with the U.S. Marshal Service. He has received extensive training, experience, and leadership is the slogan of his campaign. Your opening
3: statement, Mr. Berry. It's like Ms. Keller said, my, I am I'm Marty Berry. And I was born and raised here in Orange County. I'm married to Susan Bachman Berry, and we have one son, Cade, who is uh, a Deputy Fire Marshal in Indianapolis, Indiana. I attended in high school and graduated. And I got several certifications at the um, Southwest Virginia Law Enforcement Academy, where I was certified in uh, basic jailer school, courtroom security, civil process, uh, law enforcement, uh, basic law enforcement. Uh, I earned certifications from the National Incident Management uh, through uh, Homeland Security and FEMA, which I use on a daily basis to run events and incidents that occurred while I was working at the Sheriff's Office. Uh, I worked there, as Ms. Keller said, for 37 years. I started out as a purchasing agent. I worked my way up from purchasing agent to jailer, to deputy sheriff, law enforcement, uh, shift sergeant, shift lieutenant, and then patrol captain. Uh, I was one of the founding members of the Wilson County Sheriff's Office SWAT team, and was team commander at one time. At the time I left, when I retired, uh, I did do 16 years, as she said, with the U.S. Marshals Task Force for the Fugitive Apprehension. So, as you can see, I, I am public service. That's what I am. That's who I am, a public servant. Uh, that's all I have in I appreciate y'all letting me come to do this time.
2: Our next candidate in alphabetical order, Rex Carter. Rex Carter was raised on a farm in Scott County and is a graduate of Emory & Henry College and the Virginia Police Academy. For the last 23 years, Mr. Carter has worked in public and private law enforcement. With the state police, he led the Virginia Criminal Information Network operation. Today, Mr. Carter works as security operations specialist for Universal Fibers in Bristol, and is a firearms and martial arts instructor. He also serves as a pastor of the Woodland Baptist Church in Abingdon. His campaign motto is, People Over Politics. Mr. Carter.
4: Moral courage is the most valuable and usually the most absent characteristic in men, so said General George Patton. And good leaders encourage their employees to always act with integrity. Even when it's not the most popular thing to do, moral courage is all about doing the right thing, even if that decision may result in adverse consequences. Now this election is about more than just who to vote for, but what the candidates stand for. In today's divisive political world, you need a sheriff who stands for what he says and says what he stands for. You don't need a politician, You don't need a party, you need a sheriff who will not just direct an office with integrity and compassion, but you need one that will listen to you and has proven himself to be a supporter of the community. Since December of last year, when we began this journey, I made it my mission to set an example of what kind of leader I am. I'm proactive, determined, and relentless in my pursuit of being the most experienced and qualified person in leadership this county has ever seen. My campaign has not been your typical one. I put forth a financially sound campaign, being smart with our funds and using what is only necessary, not being a spendthrift. And as a business owner, I know it is incumbent that the sheriff be a person of sound financial strategy. And just as it is in business, so it is in law enforcement. With over 24 years of experience of combined law enforcement from the Virginia State Police, and then with private security leadership from around the globe, we have facilities in China. and Thailand, as well as here in the United States, being smart with our resources, that ensures that you are getting a leader that looks out for you. Now, tonight, you're going to hear some similarities in our campaigns. We are all mindful of the drug issue in the county and and the abuse and the violence that takes place and the crime issues. And while we can all agree that it's law enforcement's job to to enforce the law, I ask you to listen much closer to what we have to say and what we're about.
2: And Greg Hogston, to my right. Greg Hoxton was born in Saltville, Virginia, and is a graduate of Northwood High School. He now lives in Glade Spring. Over the past 20 years, he has completed coursework in various certifications in criminal justice and law enforcement at both Virginia Highlands Community College and Mountain Empire Community College. He's a 16-year veteran of the Washington County Sheriff's Department and achieved the rank of lieutenant before retiring this year to run for sheriff communities first is the motto of his campaign
5: (coughs) mr hoxton again i want to thank each and every one of you for the opportunity to be here it is an honor to sit on this stage seeking the office of sheriff of washington county i began my law enforcement career back in 1996 uh, at solvill police department where i progressed through the ranks there as a supervisor i was one of the very first school resource officers there uh, in solvill school system and i realized the importance it takes each and every day to protect our children when they go to school, and in our educational facilities throughout Washington County. Uh, I believe in a leadership-based style of supervision. Uh, being a supervisor at the sheriff's office when I left as, a, as the rank of lieutenant, I progressed through the ranks there from sergeant and field operations, which is patrol, to lieutenant in uh, administration, which I dealt with our professional standards or a state accreditation and operations and procedures there. And I look at my personnel when they come into the office, and I say, never tell me what you can do. Show me what you can do. And let's identify what we need to work and build our weaknesses and strengthen our efforts to serve our communities. Um, Since at the Sheriff's Office, um, I have progressed my career. I was a two-time recipient of the Governor's Highway Safety Award two-time recipient of the mothers against drunk Drivers award uh, attended uh, mountain empire community college and the professional leadership academy in law enforcement management services and one of the most important fields i think that's facing our agency in our county right now is our crisis intervention training which deals with their mental health issues in our county and substance abuse and one of the highlights is you know we have a sustainable program that we got on board with 10 years ago With the washington county substance abuse coalition that deals with our problems that we face each and every day in our communities and i want to if elected as your sheriff reinvest my first four years in my employees that's the most valuable asset that we have as a sheriff that we can invest in thank you
2: thank you we'll now move into the questions and the first question was actually prepared by the league because we didn't think that we would get the questions from the audience processed as quickly as we did but we did but uh, we still think this is a good question, an interesting question, and we'll ask it. We will do the alphabetical thing beginning with Blake. Uh, this will be the last time we start with you, Mr. Andis. Uh, so the question is, how would your administration of the sheriff's office be different from that of Sheriff Newman? Well,
0: <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, working under Sheriff Fred Newman, uh, I was part of that. I was the lead uh, administration uh, for about eight years. Uh, since I've left, uh, it has changed tremendously. Uh, I think the uh, focus, as far as uh, community efforts, has changed. Uh, I want to get back to the community and uh, require some of the officers. Well, don't we'll require all the officers that are driving vehicle to mandatory check uh, on people in the communities. Uh, we'll give them about four houses every month, and uh, they're going to have to get the feedback on that. Uh, that includes from myself all the way down. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the changes that we're going uh, to do. Another change is uh, we're going to get out and work. Uh, some of the things that uh, is going on as far as uh, You always hear being top heavy and things like that. Uh, We're not going to sit in the office. Uh, Of course, you always have the complaints and things like that, but you going not have to, that you have to do. But uh, we won't be out in the communities and uh, working. Uh, Even whenever I was chief deputy, if we had a murder scene, I was out holding uh, the line or tape or doing whatever it needs to do. That's just how you work as a team. Uh, a team effort is what we're after. And uh, we all live here in the county. So uh, that that's where I want the buy-in at. We're all county citizens. Uh, we live here. We want to protect our own, uh, whether it be uh, you know, one of the candidates' wives or daughters or whatever, or some of their kin people. We're all from here. We want to protect them.
2: Mr. Perry, how would the sheriff's department be different under you than it is under a
3: sheriff well, I come from a background of teamwork. I think teamwork, we achieve more stuff. So, uh, I'm going to set everybody down, first week or so, and I'm going to tell them, I said, we're going to work together. That is our job. We work for the people of Washington County. I'm just the guy that's driving the train, okay? I'm going to be your supervisor. And we're gonna we're gonna get out here on the street and we're gonna interact with the people. And I'm not just talking about interact with them when they need your service, because that's what we get paid to do. But we also get paid to interact with them when we're going down the road or when we're walking down the sidewalk and we see them, we need to speak to them. They want to see us and talk to us and they want to know us not just as workers i myself will be out here doing the same thing now there's a couple programs that sheriff newman implemented they are good programs and i don't see no change that need to be done to them i am a strong supporter of one a day every day in the school our school systems is our future every one of those children that walks down the hall at school is our future of washington county so we have to protect them so that's that's one of the things not to take up a lot of time but reminded of my time that we're not going to change but there's things are we going to be more active with the community we will get into the areas of the community and we will see people and we will interact with people. We will be transparent with the people. And we will also, I'll throw this in before I conclude, we will also work with the other emergency services in the county. That's fire and re- rescue. Thank
2: you. Uh, Mr. Carter, how would your administration be different from Sheriff Nicholas?
4: It's always known that when you take care of the people who work for you, they'll take care of you. And I believe that that is imperative in the next administration. The deputies and their families need and require that top-down support. The more that I can take care of those guys that are out on the road, those dispatchers of communication, the court security, and the patrol the more that we can look out for them, say, in the event of a traumatic crisis. And part of my background is dealing in crisis management and trauma counseling. So when, when we have a bad day at work, that means somebody doesn't go home. People say, well, I had a bad day at work and my computer crashed. No, that's not a bad day at work. But if we can be there as that supervisor to care for that person, but more so to care for that family. How many times have I been in a debriefing? How many times have I sat face to face with that officer? And they've endured a traumatic event out here, only to be dealt with. And we go through the counseling, all that, now you're back out on the road. But what about the families? We've got to care for not only the people who work for the sheriff's office, but we need to look out for the families as well. I look at several initiatives that I've got, I want to put in place. The Handle With Care initiative within our school systems, one of the greatest community policing programs we can have. Just simply put, when a child is involved in a traumatic event at home, and law enforcement responds, all we would do is simply send a communication to that school resource officer, that guidance counselor, that principal with that child's next, hey, look, we need to take care of this child a little bit more because they're suffering with some things at home. And so our administration is going to be that administration that reaches out and puts the needs of people first by caring for those who are hurting, by caring for those who have who have the needs right where they are. And when you think about it, our community watch programs, our tribe programs, things like that, look, I supervise over 70 police agencies. And I know what it takes to lead and to care, you've got to have both.
2: And Mr. Hogston, how would your administration be different than that
5: of Sheriff Newman? Well, I think each and every citizen here should know that we're blessed to have the law enforcement agency that we have here in Washington County. I consider Washington County Sheriff's Office a model agency for Southwest Virginia for being here uh, since the sheriff's first term in office and watching the agency progress each and every time, having solid, trained employees in place, investing in our personnel. With our uh, state accreditation, we've achieved four times, and that can only be obtained by having the right people in the right places, trained in the correct manner. And the old saying is, if it's not broke, don't fix it. We have a professional agency here in Washington County. I feel fortunate to have served under Fred Newman for 16 years and blessed. Uh, um, we reach out, we've got relationships with other agencies, and when you see other agencies want to excel and how to take their agency to the next level they pick up the phone and they call us and say give us guidance. How do you do it? What works for your county? What works for your jurisdiction? And the reason that we are successful is not because any person sitting at this table alone. It's because we work together, we realize as a sheriff, the investment in your personnel because that's who we have to depend on each and every day, our agency would never have achieved the goals that it has in the past 20 years under the tenure of our current sheriff without the work of each and every person, without the passion to serve and the sacrifice that it takes each and every day to come to work and face the difficult things that law enforcement faces across the board. So is there going to be a tremendous amount of difference? No, because again, if it's not broken, don't fix it. There's always going to be different viewpoints. That's something that we'll address if if elected sheriff.
2: Thank you, we're ready to move on to question number two. This time we begin with Marty Berry. And the question is, with the booming business of the Creeper Trail, Highway 58 has become unsafe due to bike hauler speed and passing on double lines. What is your plan to increase the safety of the people on the road and in the communities where people
3: live? Mr. Berry. Aggressive patrol. I feel like that we need to get out there and patrol it, and we need to do our job. If that requires us to stop a vehicle and warn, summons, or arrest, and then that's what we're allowed to do in the Commonwealth, and that's what we need to do. We need to do our job. That's what we get paid to do. Uh, I understand that the creeper trail is a booming business and it, it does real well especially for the town of damascus and that's great but we still have to enforce the law and that is what you will be elected me to do is enforce the law and i will charge my people with enforcing the law thank you
2: mr carter what would you do about
4: highway 58 and safety highway safety is very important topic for law enforcement. You gotta get where you're going, you gotta get there safe. It's hard to do when you're getting run over top of. Or, if you're coming off the mountain and there's a a bike hauler who's on your side of the curb, it makes things a little difficult. Uh, Look at it this way. We can be polite, we can be professional, we can still do our job. We have the Interstate 81 Initiative Project. A lot of people have asked us about that. There's a lot of misinformation going on out there. But those deputies are out there on the days off who are promoting highway safety, does not deter or take away from the current staff that's out there working. But my plan is to to work smarter rather than harder. And here's the thing, if we've got four deputies on the days off that's working the interstate, great. Let's slow people down on 81, but what about those people going up 58, 91, 19? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one of those deputies and we're going to let them work 58. Let them go sit on the mountain and work for a little while route 19. Go through some of the subdivisions. I live on Vance's Mill Road. It is a racetrack from 75 over uh, over to the old Jonesboro Road. I guarantee you, I get elected, I'm living on Vance's Mill, you might not want to come flying through there. Just a little word of advice. But our subdivisions, folks, I mean, really? We've got people that fly off the face of the earth. Why? Because they're five minutes late to work or whatever the case may be. Here's the thing. Let's work smarter and not harder. It's like, Mr. Perry said, yeah, we need aggressive patrols. Sure, that's great. I don't disagree with that. But I think we need to be smart about what we're doing and how we do it. And if we can take a couple of the guys that are there on the days off and we can facilitate that and have some extra patrols out there, then why not? But I'll tell you one thing, let's get some license plates. Let's get some vehicle descriptions. And let's follow up with who it is that's violating the law. I'm, I have no issue with having a nice conversation say, look, you've been identified. You're the troublemaker, let's fix it, if not, there we go. Thank you, and uh,
2: Mr. Hogston. what are you going to do about Highway 58 and safety?
5: Well, Highway 58, I've I've been with the Sheriff's Office for 16 years. Pretty much my whole tenure at the Sheriff's Office has been in uniform personnel, either dealing with field operations from patrol to administration. Back when I was first sergeant in traffic safety there, this is a continuing issue that reoccurs each and every year. And what we did and how we faced it the first time, and you know, sometimes it don't work, but we have to give it an effort to try. We took the initiative to go sit down with each and every individual business in Damascus who hauls bikes from Damascus, Abingdon, up to White Top to where they ride back down each and every day. And we ask the business owners, say, hey, listen, meet with your drivers. Talk to them, encourage them to obey the rules of the road, be safe for themselves driving because bad roadway, very curvy roadway. And let's address it that way first because, you know, enforcement's not always the answer to your question. If we can reach out, get a good return from the drivers that's hauling our patrons up and down 58 every day, If we identify a specific road hazard in the roadway, we can consult the FIOD engineers. We can request through our board of supervisors for a traffic safety study to be conducted on that stretch of road. Whether it's dealing with speed enforcement or reckless driving violations, there's multiple avenues that can be addressed before enforcement. And yes, we are very strict in our enforcement because one fatality on a Washington County road is unacceptable. And until you worked a fatality scene to where you had to go deliver a death message to a family, to a wife, to a mother, to a father, that could have been avoided if we had just taken that extra step to reach out and try to remedy the situation. Enforcement is always the last answer. But when it comes to that point, that's our job and that's what we do. Mr. Andes, Highway
2: 58 safety.
5: Well, most
0: of us knows that whenever you uh, have a 16-year-old and they get their driver's license, you're usually going, uh, well, Mom, Dad, uh, I got a ticket today. Uh, I think the prevention, it starts in the high school uh, whenever they're learning. And uh show them uh, some of the situations that uh, some of these teenagers has been in. Uh, I know uh, there's been several tragedies. Uh, and I, I can personally say that uh, I know a family that was absolutely devastated here in Abingdon uh, over uh, their child getting killed on the interstate. Um, but with that, also a friendly reminder out in the communities, uh, especially if you uh, park a, a speed trailer, you know, in somebody's driveway, and it's in uh, Woodcliff or it's in. One of these subdivisions, you know, you come down there and it's like, well, I didn't know this was 20 miles an hour, and you're going 35. It kind of gives you a friendly reminder, you know, to slow down. And after that thing's been out there for a couple of days, you put a deputy on down the road, and uh, you might deserve a ticket after that. If if that friendly reminder just didn't remind you enough. Um, But uh, the speed enforcement, uh, I believe in the uh, marked patrol cars and the unmarked. Uh, because in the unmarked, uh, you get the uh, texting and driving, uh, which is a huge problem. Also on our roadways, and it's very deadly. Uh, how many times do you think you get run out of the road, and then you get up beside of them, and they're not eating a hamburger; they're texting. Um, that happened to me just the other day. Um, and also, uh, in some of that, uh, you you'll notify notice the uh, the drug interdiction and other illegal activity in the speakers. So I want to put a a drug interdiction team out and uh, have them working on uh, Route 19, 58, 81, and interdicting.
2: We now move on to question number three. And we begin this time with Mr. Carter. Should our police force reflect the demographics of Washington County? What can be done to recruit more women and minorities?
4: Washington County is made up about 90, a little over 95%. Caucasian, you're looking at 4.5% minority population. When you look at the Washington County Sheriff's Office, you look at a very, very small percentage that's minority and female. I spent a little over seven years as a Virginia State Police recruiter. I know what it takes to work with personnel division and human resources to reach out to to find the most qualified, Women and minority applicants. I traveled state to state. I traveled all throughout the region. I had the highest recruiting rate of any recruiter in the Department of State Police for seven years. So I know what it takes to find somebody who's qualified to do the job. Should their agency reflect the demographics? Absolutely. And by reaching out through job fairs, uh, you know, by reaching out to our community college, we've got a tremendous program in Virginia Highlands, the Administration of Justice program. Robin Miner does a tremendous job with those students there. We've got the local academy. We've got a tremendous resource. But here's the thing, we've also got a powerful resource within the Sheriff's Office of the auxiliary program. It's somebody who volunteers their time, and they, they begin to, to learn the ins and outs of the Sheriff's Office. And we see what kind of person they'll be and what kind of deputy they'll, they'll be, and we can take that, the, that person, and we can mature them into a good role, and so when we have opening come up, guess what? We're a, we've already got somebody that's trained at least has some familiarity with the office. And they roll right into the academy, and then we hire a very qualified person. So I think we do need to, to diversify. I think we need to be reflective of what today's society holds. This is an ever-changing society in which we live. We see the Hispanic population increasing Washington County. and We need to be reflective of that as well. Again, it's about putting people first, folks. That's what we need to do.
2: Thank you, Mr. Hogston
5: the demographics, and recruiting more women and minorities. I agree with Mr. Carter. I think it's right around 2% or less overall population minority in Washington County. Uh, we have a very solid hiring process in place at our Sheriff's Office. And with our Human Resources Department there, um, we do employ minorities at our agency. And one of the hurdles that any law enforcement agency in Southwest Virginia is going to struggle against is just the overall pay and the working conditions in Southwest Virginia. If elected sheriff, you know, we want to maintain the professional standards that we have in place, our hiring processes. We're open to any qualified candidate who would like to become a member of our agency. Uh, Each and every year we participate in multiple job fairs. where we go out and we speak to our young generation who may be interested in law enforcement, uh, just becoming familiar with the field and, and knowing the risks and the sacrifice that you will make each and every day when you go to work, the time missed with your families, uh, what the job uh, requires of you. And, uh, you know, chiefs and sheriffs throughout Southwest Virginia face this issue of retaining qualified personnel just because of the area that we're in and the the wages paid to our law enforcement officers. So I think that just maintaining our current policy that we have in place and our hiring criteria, expanding our resources and reaching out to our community colleges that's in place and other educational institutions and seeing who's interested in their field and opening the door and seeing if that's what they're interested in and uh, choosing a profession for them.
2: Mr. Andis, Demographics and Women and Minorities.
0: Well, uh, I'm kind of an advantage. Uh, Working at the community college, I see it every day. Uh, The uh, two-year program that's going through uh, lots and lots of uh, talented young men and women uh, that the local sheriff's office is missing out on. And there's uh, one issue called money. Uh, With being at the sheriff's office, Uh, They look at uh, some of these people that's went through what we call a Citizens Academy at Southwest Community, or Southwest Criminal Justice Academy. And what that is is where you can go down and go through the same police academy as we all went through. And what that does is it shortcuts. Uh, It don't take any money from the budget anything like that and then these police and sheriffs goes right in and snatches them up on or before right at right graduation and they don't have any uh, car or any kind of uh, income or anything like that in these and they've already went through the training but like I say I see all kinds of talented talented uh, young men and women getting away uh, from our area and uh... That includes the African Americans. Uh, we had, uh, we've got some Muslims uh, that has went through, and I've, I've ended up uh, sending them to uh, apply to the state police just because of their talent. Uh, they're not only uh, multilingual, uh, but some of them are computer experts and uh, have all kinds of talents in other fields as well. And you have to show that e- ethnic background. And anytime you're dealing with another ethnicity, uh, you can send that officer in and diffuse uh what could be a crucial information, a crucial uh, uh, background on those
2: people. Thank you. So that completed question number three. If I get through this without skipping somebody, it's going to be a miracle. Did I do it already?
3: You've done it already. <laughs> I skipped you. Please forgive me.
2: <laughs>
3: Women and minorities and demographics. Okay. Salaries. we got to get salaries up. You all know, everybody knows in law enforcement that there is a decline of people that is interested in being in law enforcement. There is a decline of people that wants to be public servants across the board. So what we've got to do, you heard Mr. Carter make mention that he was a recruiter for Virginia State Police. Well, I don't understand why the Washington County Sheriff's Office can't come up with a recruiting program, and that's what I want to do. I want to go to the NEF Center. The NEF Center has an excellent program, and we hired a young man not too long ago that went through that program. So I want to go to that program, and I want to recruit from that program. I want to recruit from Virginia Highlands. I want to recruit from the academy, and I want to recruit. I understand that they're getting ready to start a program here at the King University. I want to recruit from that. We have got to recruit. it Now, As again, I have to refer back to Mr. Carter. He's completely right. We have an excellent program in the auxiliary program and part-time people at the sheriff's office. I read a book one time by, wrote by two FBI agents that said pick up your own grass. You know what that, in a short few minutes, what they referred to is develop your own supervisors. Okay, we're not talking about supervisors here, we're talking about employees. So let's take those auxiliaries, let's take those part-time people, and let's train them and develop them and make them full-time. And then when we put them into a spot, let's go get another one and put him into that spot and develop him. Let's grow our own agency, per se. Uh, I remember years ago when I worked for Crumpers, they was the leading company that started part-time and developing from part-time. That's what I want to do with the Sheriff's Office. Recruit and develop within.
2: Thank you. And now we go to
3: question number four,
2: right? Good. Uh, and this time we began with Mr. Hoxton and this time the question is how do you determine what amount of force to use or how to handle a situation when dealing with persons who have mental
5: health issues? This is an issue that's been on the rise not only in our jurisdiction here but across the Commonwealth and across the nation. Uh, we all know the methamphetamine epidemic that we're facing within Washington County and all of our surrounding jurisdictions. And with that problem at hand that we're facing and dealing with each and every day compounds some of the mental health issues that we deal with in the field. Each and every day out here, men and women in uniform face these situations daily, dealing from substance abuse, mental health issues, crisis intervention, and especially dealing with use of force in the field for all law enforcement officers. One of the most important tools that we can arm our officers with in the field is our crisis intervention training, which helps the officers interview people in the field, assess the situation to know that if they're dealing with a mental health situation or just plain criminal behavior or a substance abuse issue, once you properly identify that, if it is a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue, Those officers through the CIT core training that our agency invested in 13 of our employees back in 2015, we sent 13 people to the core training and and I think we sent seven people to train the trainer programs so we could come back and invest in our agency and our personnel. So when we face these issues daily in the public, we properly identify the issue that we're dealing with and then we can refer it to the proper resources that we have in the county. So the investment in our personnel and identifying the issues of mental health our crisis intervention core training and procedures that we've got in place is what's going to ensure that our officers use what force is necessary dealing with an incident that they're involved with at that point in time, and that is the only way to properly assess when using uses of force in the field.
2: Thank you, Mr. Hogston. And now we flip around to the other end for Mr. Andes, determining the use of force and evaluating a situation when you're dealing with people with mental health issues. Well, that's near and
0: dear to the heart. Uh, Last uh, time I ran for sheriff, uh, there was a tragedy that occurred in Washington County because of this. And uh, that was one of the the things that I ran on was uh, that we needed the crisis intervention team training uh, here and uh, we have finally, uh, I sit on the board there and uh, we have finally uh, partnered up with the uh, Virginia Department of Health and Highlands Mental Health and uh, we have got a crisis intervention team assessment center which uh, consists of uh, two full-time officers and uh, two full-time mental health uh, advisors. and uh, uh, there's a a coordinator that's over that. But uh, what that does is it provides services for people in uh, a mental crisis. Uh, And what the officers has to do is assess the situation. And when you go in, you you sure don't want to go in uh, if you have a plainclothes officer. It's better because of the tents up. They want to fight or whatever. But uh, you need to learn how to communicate. And the uh, Crisis Intervention Team training is the best training I think I've ever took. Um, if you can resolve that situation uh, uh, to a, a good outcome, uh, then, then you've won. Uh, that person may just be having a bad day, and something small set them off. And uh, all you have to do is talk to them, Thing else, There's somebody's loved one, and uh, we sure don't want to treat them bad.
2: Thank you. Miss, uh, Mr. Berry, the uh, situation of people with mental health issues and the possible use of
3: force. It seemed like in my career I, I dealt with people that had issues of mental health or drug abuse, and that's a common thing. It's not going to go away. We need to learn how to deal with it. So if you go back to like the first question that we were asked and I answered where we were talking about going into, I I said something about going into the communities and and developing a rapport with people, with their people, and you're going to develop a rapport. And that's a good thing. But that's not going to take care of the whole problem. We have to have more CIT training, we have to have more guidelines training to identify subject abuse. We need to be able to direct these people which way to go. We need to partnership with recoveries. We need to partnership with mental health. Uh, It it, it is a complicated matter to me and it's something that we cannot let up on. We have to continue to upgrade our training. When I was patrol captain, I sent several people in the patrol to uh, Sullivan County uh, through Frontier Health and got them started in CIT. And uh, then Virginia picked up the program, and uh, Mr. Hawkson touched on and we sent people to that. But it's always contraining. Now, as Mr. Strandis talked, we have the CIT program, and he has got two full time deputies. So, as you can see, the agency has continue to grow in recognizing this problem and how to deal with this problem. And that's, my my thought is I'm not going to stop because it's something that we can't stop at. So we have to continue to train as we go along and use new training that comes down the pipe.
2: Thank you, and Mr. Carter mental
4: health issues in force. I served as one of the main core instructors for the defensive tactics program at the Commonwealth of the Virginia for several years. So I've taught use of force, hands on. And you cannot go in and handle somebody who's having a mental crisis the same you can as somebody who's intoxicated out here on the road. Can't do it. We've talked about, or my friends up here have talked about training. Absolutely, we need more training. The training also costs money. We've got to have it in the budget in order to do that. And I think it's, it's so great that in 2015, you had about 13 officers that were trained CIT. That's fabulous. But this is 2019. How many more deputies have been trained since then? It's four years later. What are we doing now to meet the needs of people who are having uh, mental disability in episodes. One of the initiatives that I've researched is called SNIDS, Special Needs in Distress. It costs zero dollars for you to call me and say, look I've got a family member who, is, who has a certain type of mental disorder. It's volunteer information. We put that into a database and you tell me the information and where it is and so guess what? Heaven forbid that there's a call at that address. But we get dispatched to whatever it is, 123 Main Street. Dispatch puts out the call, but on that situation, they say, wait a minute, this address is a SNID's address, and they let the officer know, hey, you're responding to an address with somebody who has, and you fill in the blank. That way, we know what we're getting into even before we get there, and that can change our mindset and our level of response. Policing today is different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're not in the mindset today of, let me just kick the door down and grab everybody, and out the door we go doesn't work that way anymore. We've got to assess every situation and every need as we get to it.
2: Thank you. And we're ready to move on to question number five. Uh, This time we were back with uh, Mr. Andes as the beginning uh, for the first answer. I'm going to take the liberty and combine two questions here because they seem closely related, and they're also quite related to what we were just talking about. Uh, One of the uh, audience member questions says that there was a relative that was shot and killed by the Sheriff's Department and that the video of that incident has not been released. If elected, what would you do? No, if elected, would you show the video? Would you show our attorney the video? And the more encompassing question From another uh, card is, in general, what will you do about transparency and requests made uh, related to the Freedom of Information Act? So is that clear? We've got the incident where someone was killed. Would you release the video to show what happened? And what is your overall view of complying with the required transparency under the Freedom of Information Act? So, Ms. Strandis, you take it first. That's a wide range uh, as far as,
0: uh, according to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act. uh, Some of those things are uh, decisions of the agency. Uh, A video is uh, decisive uh, upon the uh, agency head. And uh, I would have no problem especially showing it uh, to the uh, attorney. Uh, I think that would give uh, closure to a family. Uh, if there's a, a shooting and the person uh, is their loved one and they're involved in it it's a loved one uh, that family needs closure uh, you know no matter uh, how violent uh, the situation is uh, as far as the officer's concerned uh, I would want to protect that you know I don't want it on YouTube and and things like that uh, we all know how the uh, the shootings and things like that gets on YouTube, uh, but uh, there is uh, protection on that that uh, agency had uh, as far as that has the say uh, With doing that and withholding a uh, a video, uh, I think that just uh, uh, breaks the community trust. If you got to hide, you know what? Are, what what went on? Uh, you know, especially we're a, it's a it's a family that's hired an attorney to see uh, their loved one. Uh, you know, so uh, as far as uh, using that, uh, I would like to see uh, SWAT teams and things like that, especially where you know that they're going into a, a, a violent situation. Everybody on that team should have a, a video that not only protects the officers and their uh, techniques. But it also uh, protects the community. Uh, you know, if we're, not, we're all human and we'll make mistakes, but we need to correct them.
2: Thank you. Mr. Berry, my mash of two questions. Would you show the video of the shooting, and how would uh, you uh, evaluate and implement the overall Freedom of Information Act requirements?
3: Well, first I'd have to determine what stage <laughs> of the investigation the video was in. If it's something that's completely finished, uh, and no more investigation going to be done. it's closed. Perhaps to the attorney, uh, I would protect the integrity of my officers. I think that that's something that needs to be done. Um, I, I would have to uh, I feel kind of the same way Mr. Anders does. It is a loved one. And I feel that they need to have that closure. It's a tragedy. It's, an, it's a tragedy for all involved, officers, family, citizens, everything. It's not, not a good thing, but I, I do believe that there needs to be closure. And as far as me, uh, I do believe in transparency. I don't believe in hiding anything. I believe in ownership pride and ownership, take pride in your job and own up to everything you do. If it's a mistake, own it. If it's the right thing, own it. Own what you do. And if you're not hiding anything, you ain't got nothing to hide. Just show it to them. Be transparent with them. That's just the way I feel. Okay. Thank
2: you. Mr. Carter, would you show the video and what about the general requirements of Freedom of Information Act?
4: You know, law enforcement officers have to make a split-second decision, many times life and death. And that split-second decision is going to be looked at, criticized from all perspectives for days, weeks, and months to come. That's the nature of the job. If it comes to the issue that there is a video that has not been released for whatever reason, if it is in the middle of an investigation, I understand we may have to hold that for a little while. But we've seen agencies across this nation release videos within 24 hours. Shouldn't be any different here. There's a video that the attorney and that family has come forward to seek closure. No issue. We'll sit down in a private meeting. I I do want to respect the privacy of that family. But I also want to respect the privacy of that officer as well. And to go through an episode of having to take someone's life, that is not easy. But in order to protect that person, we do have to have some degree of anonymity. I believe it is vitally important to comply with the requests request that an agency remains transparent in all of its dealings. There should be a question in the public's mind. How does this sheriff run his agency and how does he handle situations? There should be a question about it. You should be able to lay your head down at night and know, hey, this sheriff has got everything squared away because he's up front. And he's honest, if he makes a mistake, he says he made a mistake. I look at it this way, that's a lot of life lessons we all have learned. Mama always said, don't ever put your hand on that red hot stove eye. We wondered why, until we touched it. And we learned, you know what, maybe Mama was right. Maybe we should have touched that hot stove eye. You know, in life and in law enforcement, we're gonna do a lot of things. We may make some mistakes, but we're honest and we're transparent. We meet with that family, we show that video. When it comes to FOIA, yeah, we need to make sure that we comply, because there's nothing to hide. Uh,
2: Mr. Carter, thank you, and on to Mr. Hogston on this same question about the video and the Freedom of Information Act.
5: You know, I cannot speak for the current Sheriff's Office in the state regarding the release of the video, but in critical incidents, use of force, lethal shootings, things of that nature. There's certain policies and procedures that's put in place to safeguard not only the victim's families, but the officers identities involved in these shootings and these critical incidents. I think those policies and procedures need to be followed. If the video is released, it needs to be done and vetted very thoroughly through the investigating agencies. If our agency was involved in a critical use of force, it is investigated independently by the Virginia State Police. Once that investigation is mirrored by our agency, to make sure we followed our policy and procedures, it's in place, our accreditation standards, we mirror that as an administrative investigation, and then we consult with our Commonwealth Attorney. We have to follow those procedures, are safeguards put in place, that protect each and every individual involved in a critical incident. And then once it goes through that, if the commonwealth attorney feels that there's a need to vet it further through the grand jury, then that is a process where we are judged and tried, or the, the process is put before a panel of our peers to see if we acted properly. But as far as releasing the video, the only way that I would even consider that to an attorney would be to make sure that there's no further criminal action that would come out of the case involving that or civil litigation to protect each and every person involved the way society has become today. And we would honor freedom of information request based upon if it's information that is required or available to be released upon that request. But we need to stick with our own policy. Our own procedures, and follow the correct process of dealing with critical incidents of force.
2: On to question number six. and this time, we begin with Mr. Berry. And this question is, what kind of relationship do you plan on having with the Commonwealth's attorney?
3: I always looked at the Commonwealth attorney as the attorney for the Sheriff's Office. So my relationship with the Commonwealth attorney I would strive to work with him. As I said earlier in a question earlier, I'm a team player. So that means I'm going to take my team, and we're going to get with his team, and we're going to do work. And that, that's, that's the way I think it should be done. If we work together, we accomplish more than if we work individually and bump heads. Now, it, it, we, there's no good can come out of it. And we're all here to serve the people of Washington County and do and enforce the laws of the Commonwealth of Virginia and those of Washington County. So it's a team effort between the Sheriff's Office and the Commonwealth
6: Attorney. OK, thank you. And next is Mr. Carter. What
2: kind of relationship with the Commonwealth Attorney?
6: We
4: need to make sure we've got a relationship that involves complete communication, it goes both ways. If the Commonwealth Attorney's Office has anything good, bad, or otherwise to relate to the Sheriff's Office, we need to know that, and vice versa. The Sheriff's Office is going to produce, and has produced, a tremendous caseload for the Commonwealth Attorney's Office to to handle. If we're going to take that many cases before the judge, or a jury, whatever it may be, that I want to make sure that each and every deputy is well rehearsed in court proceedings and that they have a very timely communication with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. In my many years in law enforcement, one of the biggest gripes that I've heard from the Commonwealth Attorney's Office is that, well, this officer, this deputy, this trooper, well, their reports are not complete. Thank you all. I thought it was a good comment. <laughs> but that the reports are not complete. We can't read them. They're not here in a timely fashion. Look, we're professionals, and the Commonwealth Attorney's Office deserves a Sheriff's Office that will be professional in every aspect. And so I think in developing a good communication with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, we can uh, eliminate a lot of those little errors that we see, and we have a great relationship with them. We need to, and we will.
2: Mr. Hoxton, relationship with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office.
5: I think that is an integral part of the success of any law enforcement agency. Uh, I've been in law enforcement over 20 some years, and I'm gonna say this in front of each and every one of you. We not only have one of the best, but if not the best commonwealth attorney's offices in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I've worked with them hand in hand for 16 years, and they are our legal advisors when we are in the field dealing with critical incidents every day. Matter of fact, I picked up the phone today and had to get the advice from a Commonwealth Attorney. And our current Commonwealth Attorney's office is open to us each and every day. They're accessible around the clock. And God forbid that one of you or your family, loved ones, or friends are a victim of a crime, a violent crime, something that needs the attention and the guidance of a Commonwealth attorney. I can pick up a phone at two o'clock in the morning, at two o'clock in the day. And the first thing I get, what's going on, how can I help you? Do you need me on the scene? We have an outstanding relationship right now with our Sheriff's Office, with our Commonwealth Attorney's Office right here. It's an asset to each and every citizen here, and it would be a disservice to each and every person sitting here and our citizens throughout our county if we did not maintain and strengthen our relationship with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. They offer very good training that interact with our personnel. And they are our legal advisors. And they guide us in tough times and tough decisions. Because here's the thing, we want to make the right decision in the field. Law enforcement officers are not attorneys. Laws change each and every year and we have to depend upon our commonwealth attorney's office to give us the proper guidance when faced with these issues out so hands down we have to maintain a strong working relationship with our commonwealth attorney all and mr abbess you'll bring up the uh, final I'm kind response of going, to that uh,
0: repeat some of the stuff that they have uh, <laughs> as far as working with the commonwealth attorney um, it don't matter what uh, Republican, Independent, Democrat uh, we've got to work with, them. and uh, with that, I want the buy-in from them. Uh, and and what I mean by that, uh, even in the past, in my criminal uh, investigation background, we would bring them out to the scene of a murder, a rape, a robbery, uh, you know, a heinous crime, and we get that buy-in from them. They ended up. They end up. Getting to know that victim, the family, and what what went on. And that helps us in court. Uh, they can elaborate to what happened. Uh, they know that scene. They know how they want to present it. And uh, even in your uh, policy and procedures, uh, dealing with the sheriff's office, you want to include them. Uh, say the video. Uh, if I worked drugs you know, for several years, buying dope and uh, have a VCR in my back pocket with a camera in my hand behind up. Now the video has come a long way. Does that make your uh, cases easier? You know, that's who you want to, that's who's going to be prosecuting it, is the Commonwealth Attorney. We want to make it the easiest, most prosecutable case and quality cases uh, so that we get that uh, conviction. Uh, I don't want to be losing uh, you know, on bad uh, sheriff conduct. Uh, even uh, I even work with them now. Uh, they're, they're so widespread. I work with them on uh, the sexual abuse uh, cases, uh, and we've got a, uh, a response team that's established here in Washington County and the city of Bristol.
2: Thank you. I'm gonna combine two questions again because I have more questions than we're gonna have time, and these two seem very related. Um, This person says, how do you feel about people of different races and what is your record of interacting with people of different races? And let's combine that. Your view of people of different races and your record of interacting with people of different races And what should be the role of the Sheriff's Department related to checking documentation of immigrants? They're very related, but also different. So I hope that 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 will work. Let's give it a shot at this time we start with Mr.
1: Carter.
4: I look at it this way. We all bleed red, plain and simple. Whether you're black or white, you're Hispanic, Asian. I've worked all across the Commonwealth of Virginia. I've worked assignments around the United States of America. Some of the best people I've ever worked with have not been the same skin color. Have been people of different faiths. Have been people of different perspectives. I look at it this way. My faith teaches me. We're all made in His image. I don't see any different. I think it's important that we interact as we interact as people. It's a very sad commentary in this nation today that we still have issues of race and division. It's disgusting. To put somebody down because of their race, it's not happening on my watch, it's not happening or my leadership. As far as the uh, second perfect question, I understand right, the role of the sheriff's office and the. in checking documentation. The, checking documentation, University. University. the Code of Virginia requires that the Office of Sheriff, anybody that's taken into jail, that when we run their record, that their status is checked. Now here's the thing because you may look a certain way and I meet you out on the street and it's a consensual encounter. I'm not going to run your record just because, well, I think you look like you're illegal. Now, that gets us into too much trouble, and that's ridiculous, and that's petty, and that's childish, and that's immature. But if you commit a crime, and I've placed you under arrest, then I will check your status to see if you're wanted, see if you're suspended, and to see if you were here in this country legally or not.
2: Thank you. Mr. Hogston, (laughs) your... Uh, perspective on race your record in dealing with people of different races and the role that the department should have in checking documentation of immigrants
5: as far as the race i think in all law enforcement officers should be fair in their enforcement activities irregardless of race our enforcement activities do not dictate how we enforce based upon race Officers are trained to identify and deal with criminal behavior. And that's what we look for as law enforcement officers. As a supervisor at our office, 16 years dealing in the patrol uniform division, and what time I worked in admin, one of my things that I was tasked with was investigating complaints from citizens that came in on our officers in the field. I can't recall one time that one of our officers had a complaint dealing with a race-related issue because our enforcement should be fair, equal, and just across the board, period. Hands down, and if that's an issue that arises, we have policies, we have procedures in place to deal with those properly, and trust me, they will be dealt with because we we, we have to see Everyone as equal when it comes to enforcement activities, irregardless of your race. Dealing with the immigration issue, that's something that is on the increase in our county. We do uh, deal with that from time to time. Sheriff's office, we do not go out and enforce federal law on immigration. But when we do deal with someone of an illegal status in our country, We have relationships with the Department of Homeland Security in place. ICE, um, Immigration Customs Enforcement. When we make a criminal arrest and it's by an undocumented illegal alien in our country, we make the proper contacts and see if they qualify for deportation and the federal agencies start an administrative process at that point in time if that person qualifies for that Uh,
2: mr andis your feelings about people of different race record and the uh, the role of the department in checking documentation of immigrants
0: well i get to work daily uh, with various people of various colors race religion and now even sex. Uh, The uh, LGBT uh, has been a big issue, uh, you know, and we try to uh, work with those, along with the Muslims and African-Americans, whites. It it doesn't matter. Uh, I work with all of them. I'm a Title IX coordinator. I investigate a lot of uh, claims and things like that uh, with harassment, and uh, I want them to feel as home as as anything. Uh, we, you know, uh, we we shouldn't uh, condemn or, or uh, persecute, you know, somebody that's that's came here legitimate uh, through the. Uh, uh, process of getting their, I think I'm going dead, uh, citizenship and and are legitimate voters and they commit to society. They're actually, they're working human beings uh, and it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, they may have different cultural trends but, you know, learn them. Uh, as far as the uh, immigrants, uh, one thing that we have to look out for is the uh, illegal uh, moving uh, drugs, uh, sex trafficking, and things like that. Uh, people are held against their will, and it's even happening here in Washington County. Uh, if you look at some of the uh, massage bars and things that comes up, and uh, even during the racetrack,
2: uh, you know, uh, sex trafficking is going on sorry that the time is up uh mr barry race immigration
3: i don't judge people by the color of their skin i have friends that don't wear the same skin that i do and it's wrong it will never heal in this country as long as it keeps being brought up I'm going to tolerate it in my administration as sheriff, it is unacceptable. As far as checking immigration status, we have federal agencies that does that. That's their job. If we make an arrest, we will check, but we will not judge you or anybody else because of the color of your skin or your religion, or your sex, or any of I won't accept it. That's all I have to say.
2: Thank you. And now we're on to question number eight. And to, let's see, this time we can start with Mr. Hoxton. And this question is, if elected, will you continue to support the drug court program at the same level it is currently
5: supported? I will continue that support. The Drug Court is an integral process of healing for our community. Um, While I was appointed to Sheriff's Office as as a patrol lieutenant, one of my primary tasks was dealing with the Drug Court as a liaison from our agency. And knowing the ability of the Drug Court program to rehabilitate people or persons that's been a victim of addiction, and how it can destroy their lives, their families. It is a very, very strict program and a very successful program. When it's followed down to the letter, it has great results. We've seen people come in in full-blown addiction with criminal charges, with their lives turned upside down. And through the process of a little over a year to 18 months of intense therapy, of deputy sheriffs knocking on your door at 11 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, curfew checks, urine screens, saliva screens, reporting to your drug court advocates at 2 a.m. in the morning. The program works 110%. And it's a way a sheriff's office can be involved in giving back to our communities By seeing this being a self-sustaining program and just cooperating with our circuit court, our drug court personnel and adult probation and parole, there's so many aspects of this program and so much time and resource and effort that's put into it that makes it successful and as sheriff, most definitely we will stay supportive of this program. And our agency will give any resource it can't see that it succeeds and grows. Mr. Andis, drug court.
0: <laughs> the drug court, uh, I believe in that. Uh, it holds the offender accountable uh, for what drug uh, offenses they've chosen and done and got convicted of. Uh, What that does is uh, they put it in their ballpark and uh, Highlands Mental Health has got a a real good program going on uh, with that and uh, it also goes along with uh, what I'm wanting to uh, do as sheriff. Uh, I want to start a drug abuse uh, resistance uh, basically on the adults. Uh, It's a response team. And if they're called out, you know, and you have a drug offender that's been called, I want to offer them services. Uh, And that would go all the way through as far as Teen Challenge, uh, offering a first offender status to where they can go out. I've, uh, like I say, I worked dope for several years and had uh, several uh, great experiences with that. Uh, I've got them up here. They went through college. All they had to have was a chance uh, to prove themselves. And uh, as far as the drug court, I, you know, it would involve the probation officers, uh, community, faith-based programs, and all that. I just want to connect the dots as far as offering that up to the offenders. And working with the drug court, is, is it's a tremendous asset. Uh, with those offenders, uh, we can hook them up. As far as uh, the community college getting on technical trades to where they can be back out in the communities and being productive citizens, and that's that's what they're asking for. They just want another chance, and we need to give that to them.
2: Mr. Perry.
3: I'll be truthful with you. When they first started drug court here in Washington, Canada, I didn't think it would work, and as I sat and watched it and participated, at my level of participation, I realized that I was wrong. Uh, Mr. Brown uh, had actually told me, he said, I'll make you a believer in drug court. And uh, Mr. Brown did make me a believer, but not as much as the system itself. And the biggest reason I think that drug court made me a believer is that I also believe that if you give and give to somebody and don't require them to achieve something on their own, it's not going to help them. So drug court makes them be responsible, it holds them accountable and I think in itself that is why it is such a success story across the nation. So I would be a strong supporter of drug court uh, and other, other programs that's out there. I, I attended uh, a couple weeks ago, attended a seminar or training or program here that uh, I about some programs that I, I didn't know existed, and I was impressed. Uh, I won't get into that, but I will be a supporter of drug court. I think it works. Uh, it should have been something that we did many years ago, uh, because locking people up and throwing them in jail, they don't they don't rehabilitate, rehabilitate them on drugs. Because we we everybody has a different story as to why they get into the drug war world. I'm sorry, into the drug world. So by giving them something to work for and making them earn it on their own, that program works, and I will support it when I become sheriff.
2: Mr.
4: Carter,
3: drug court. Absolutely, full support of it. Here's why.
4: So reasons one, because it works. I mean we're gonna support something that works, aren't we? I think that's a good thing. But secondly, you realize that for drug court it costs you, the taxpayer, less money than it is to house an inmate up here at Avon Regional Jail. Again, a little bit of my business management tells me that you know what, if we can save a little bit of money, or actually a whole lot of money we can have someone who is going through a very intensive program that requires complete accountability then I think we're onto to something. I don't know about you, I like saving a few dollars here and there. We pay enough for everything every day, so why should we have to pay more money to house somebody who may be a first time offender? Well yeah, they made a mistake, but if we lock them up for six months or a year and do nothing with them, what's the chance of them going right back into that same situation again? It's very high, so I think Drug Court is an outstanding program. Uh, you know, when I was in Atlanta, Georgia, this year at the National Prescription Drug Abuse Summit, we met with President Trump. I met with state, national leaders to bring back resources to help facilitate the addiction uh, resource program here in Washington County, and I met with those people. And I was proud to say, you know what? We've got Drug Court in Washington County. I'm like, really? How's that working? I said, great. And there's other areas across the United States that are seeing the same type of success. And so if I'm hearing it from, from the west coast, if I'm hearing it from the south, if I'm hearing it from the north, and I'm sitting around the table with, with other national state leaders, guess what? We're going to keep it because it works. I think we need to be in full support of it.
2: All right. Uh, we're going to do one more question. Marva Cassie, if you all are with me on this and if nobody screams an objection, Could we stop it at 90 seconds this time instead of two minutes to save a couple of minutes because we are really getting close and I know people are getting tired. Um, But the question is, what are your thoughts about private citizens owning assault weapons? Would you favor any limitations on that? And we begin with Mr. Andes. Can you Yes, what are your thoughts about private citizens owning assault weapons? Would you favor any limitations on them?
0: Well, I've uh, been questioned with that uh, a lot during this campaign. Uh, assault weapons, uh, you know, they've got a stigma. Uh, it's, a, it's a rifle, uh, same as in a semi-truck same as sticks of dynamite, you know, uh, same as the pressure cooker that was used in Boston. Uh, Are we going to say that's an uh, an assault pressure cooker? Uh, I'm I'm in favor of the Second Amendment, and uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. Uh, The uh, person should have a right to own a firearm, and outside that, like say, I'm in favor of it. Uh, so I don't think there should be any restrictions on it.
2: Mr. Barry, your thoughts about private citizens owning
3: assault weapons. I support the Second Amendment because it is the law of the land. and We all have to live by it. So the Second Amendment says that they can, can have that if they pass the background checks. And it's my understanding that the state of Virginia has one of the best and it's modeled by other states' background checks. But here's the thing: if they violate the law, as your sheriff, and if it's my job to enforce that law and it requires me to seize that weapon as evidence, then I will, and I will do whatever the court tells me to do with it after I end the trial. But no, I support the Second Amendment because it is the law of the land, and I am a gun owner myself. And that's just my stand on it. Hey, Mr. Carter. I like my guns.
4: You know, I'm an NRA instructor. I've handled firearms since, I don't know, I was probably eight years old. If you're a private citizen, if you're legally entitled to have one, have it. If you got one to sell, I might buy it off of you. I see my wife, though, she's got the checkbook. But uh-huh. I look at it this way. A firearm is nothing more than a tool. I can take a knife, I can take a gun, I can lay it right on this table, come back ten years later, guess what, it's still going to be sitting right there. Here's what concerns me, though. Virginia has not really seen the red flag laws yet. and I think we need to be very, very careful. If we start seeing these red flag laws come up that says, you know what, hey, um, I don't like you, You're my neighbor and I've got, I just don't like the way you look at me. I'm going to call the police and, hey, you're crazy. We need to go get your guns. Uh Uh-uh. See, that's taking away due process. We've got to be very, very careful. We don't want to down slip or slip. If not, our second member rights are gone. So we've got to be very careful on how that situation is handled. Now, if there's a legitimate reason, okay. But what I'm talking about are people just just because they don't like you, they call and complain, and guess what? The police show up. Look, the Second Amendment was there for a reason. Founding Fathers wrote that for a reason. That reason so that way we can have that protection that we need.
2: Okay, and Mr. Hoxton, your thoughts about private citizens owning
5: assault weapons? Well, one of of my platforms in my campaign deals with safe and responsible gun ownership. I support our Second Amendment rights. It's our constitutional right to own and bear arms. And as your sheriff i can't overstep your constitutional rights and come after your guns if you have a legal right to own that you're protected by our constitution you're allowed to have it safe and responsible gun ownership falls back up on the shoulder of our parents to educate our youth on how to properly use and handle firearms in a safe manner the burden falls back upon us the citizens and as your sheriff That is one of your last safeguards of your constitutional rights to bear arms. Make wise choices when you vote because that sheriff answers to no one but the people who elect them and put them in office. We are there to safeguard your constitutional rights to keep and bear arms. We support it. But Virginia has strict gun laws in place and screening processes that need to be adhered to followed to the T by following the process that keeps weapons out of the wrong hands and when they do wind up in the hands of your drug dealers or your criminals as your sheriff it needs to be dealt with swiftly and very strictly and I have no problems with strict enforcement when it comes to issues dealing with that keeping our community safe dealing with gun rights and secondary
2: Thank you. That concludes the questions that we have from the audience. We got most all of them in. I'm so sorry I couldn't get to everybody's, but if you will go to vote411.org, I noticed that some of the questions that I didn't get to are similar to those questions there. You just type in your address, it'll bring up all of the candidates in your district that you would be voting for. So, if you didn't get your question answered, please try vote411.org. We'll move to the closing statements. We're back to alphabetical order. We'll begin with the two-minute statements.
1: Mr. Andes.
2: I appreciate everybody coming
0: out tonight. Uh, The election of sheriff is the most important. Uh, They provide safety, security, and welfare of everybody in Washington County, no matter who you are. I have 32 years experience. I've led the Department of the Sheriff's Office and I lead my own department now. I have the ability and skills and talent to do so. I want to serve with integrity. I'm not a do as I say, not as I do kind of person. Uh, I want to lead by example. Here in Washington County, we're hungry. As far as citizens, we need good services. I will provide that. Me and my officers. I'm fully committed. I've served my entire career. Serving the citizens of Washington County. In law enforcement. With that, I'm carrying. I go into houses. I've served on SWAT teams. I've uh, helped people. I've cried with victims. You name it. I've done it (laughs) Uh, I've been there, I know what struggles you face. I want to help. I'm fully dedicated and committed to serving you. And I appreciate your support come November
3: 5th. Mr. Berry. I want to thank each and every one of you for letting me come here. This was a great pleasure for me. Uh, I've enjoyed this tonight. I hope that I have provided you some information about myself and the way I feel. I care about people. Uh, I care about the citizens. I care about the people that work in the at the sheriff's office. Uh, i want to be your sheriff. Uh, I have some ideas that I didn't get to bring up tonight, and that that will help this county. So I'm asking you on November fifth for your vote.
2: Mr. Carter.
4: I thank each and every one of you for your time tonight. You didn't have to be here, but you came out because you were concerned about the direction of the county. We appreciate that very, very much. We don't take that lightly. You know, two weeks from now, when you go to the polls, I want you to remember one thing from tonight change is needed if we are to grow and be better than we are. Are you ready for change? Are you ready to leave the status quo behind and let's put some winning leadership in place? Are you ready to have fresh leadership with new ideas? I think very highly of all these guys up here. See, I'm not cut from the same mold. I bring something entirely different, a whole different level of leadership and experience to the table. And you've got the most awesome opportunity to bring a breath of fresh air to the leadership of the Washington County Sheriff's Office. Think about it. You've got the power to make this county great again by helping me to help people break the chains of addiction. You've got the ability to make history by voting for a candidate who puts people over politics. You've got the voice that needs to be heard that we need a new perspective in leadership. And you've got the responsibility for the next 2 weeks, next 2 weeks to reach out to others to let them know Susan B. Anthony once said, someone struggled for your right to vote, so use it. And let's go to the polls two weeks from today, and let's make a difference, and let's make history, and let's put people over politics. I ask for your support and your vote. God bless you. Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you, Mr. Carter and Mr. Hoxton.
5: Again, I want to say thank you. It has been an honor and a privilege to be here in front of each and every one of you tonight. I believe I am the best candidate for the job due to my experience and tenure at the sheriff's office, being involved with each and every aspect of the agency's operations, from patrol to administration to accreditation and all the different moving parts of that agency. I have a very good feel on how it operates. Keep in mind, the sheriff is a very, very important race. I do support your constitutional rights. I will give back to the community. I believe in 100% total investment in my employees because that is the most valuable asset for any sheriff is the people that he employs each and every day. And the effort that he puts back into them to serve the people. In our county. I believe in protection and our children and our schools, protecting our elders in our community against financial exploitation, physical and mental abuse, educating our officers in fields of substance abuse and mental health to deal with these critical incidents that our people are faced with daily. We put our guys and gals out in the field to deal with critical situations on a split second decision and we have to invest in our personnel and to be a sheriff I think you have to have a heart of a servant because before you're sheriff you're a public servant Then you can never forget where you come from ever I think there's two words to be an effective sheriff and it's called passion and sacrifice you've got to have the passion to serve people And you've got to be willing to make the sacrifice away from your family to be in the field with the people that you're working with each and every day. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight I humbly ask for your vote on November 5th to be your next Sheriff of Washington (coughs) County.
2: Thank you. The night is getting long. We're uh, pushing two hours. It takes effort to be a good citizen and participate in the electoral process. We need just a little more time. We have a little more business. But first, I would like to personally thank uh, these candidates for being here and to thank all of you for being here. And if you would like to join me in thanking them as well. Thank you. President Mary Jennings mentioned, some candidates, you guys can just keep your seat if you will, and uh, Mr. Andis, if you would just pull that microphone loose over there so that we can hand it off to somebody, uh, some candidates withdrew, and what that meant was that their opponents were not able to participate and answer the variety of questions on the panel that you just saw. So the League has decided to give each of those candidates who didn't therefore get a chance to participate four minutes to address those of you who came in hopes of hearing from everyone. So because Nicole Price, a candidate for commonwealth attorney, chose not to participate, Josh Cumbo will be given the opportunity and I'm going to read his bio and we'll let him step up on the stage and take that uh, microphone. Josh Cumbo is from Abingdon and is a graduate of Virginia Tech and the T.C. Williams School of Law at the University of Richmond. After law school, Mr. Cumbo returned to his hometown to begin practicing civil and criminal law. In 2015, he was elected Commonwealth Attorney for Washington County and continues to serve in that capacity today. Mr. Cumbo is married to Leslie and resides in Abingdon with her two children. If you want to use this, we'll have to put that microphone away with your feedback.
1: Thank you, Dr. Keller. Uh, thank you to the
7: League of Women Voters and thanks to each and every one of you who are here tonight. I, I started to speak from the floor, but I didn't want any of these four guys behind me, so I'm up here on the stage with them. When I ran for Commonwealth attorney four years ago, I had four very specific things I said I would do. And because of the limits of time, I can't do what we call in the courtroom, set a foundation as to why I said that. But I want you to take, because I'm saying that, that the other person was not doing these things. I said important cases had to be tried to watch the county juries. I said the elected Commonwealth's attorney had to have a regular caseload in court every week. I said the elected Commonwealth's attorney had to have a good working relationship with law enforcement and I said the elected commonwealth attorney had to have a public presence. For example, actually showing up at something like this. You you go ahead and laugh, it's true. I did those things and now I'm running for re-election asking for your vote. I won every jury trial. I go to court every week. You can ask any member of law enforcement that you know, and in fact, I ask you to do that. They've worked with both of us. Ask them about her regime and what I've done in these four years. Make your vote uh, based on that. I do things a little differently than some elected officials you've seen before. I actually tell people when I speak, Don't take my word for anything I say. Go ask people who have seen me in action. I feel that confidently about the job I and my staff who are here to not have done. The last thing I want to touch on, just with whatever time I have left, and that is being a public person. You know, when I grew up around here, I was raised by parents who believed in getting out in the community. I followed Joe Johnson, who believed in getting out in the community. As a citizen, and as a taxpayer, and as a voter, I cannot imagine someone seeking elected office that fails to show up after they said they were going to at the only public debate. It blows my mind. And I think each and every one of you should take that into account when you make your vote. I believe in getting out and seeing the people, whether that means helping a single Boy Scout get a merit badge uh, so he could be Eagle Scout, teaching Virginia rules, participating every month in driver's license ceremonies for young drivers, going to public fundraisers, being a member of the Rotary Club. If you're gonna be an elected official, be out with the people. They wanna ask you questions, and I get questions all the time. One of my favorite questions these days is, now you're running unopposed, aren't you? <coughs> I really get that. Sometimes they want to ask you the hard questions. Why didn't you do this on this certain case? And you've got to be able to answer those questions. I'm always willing to do that. I think I've got 30 seconds left, maybe. I just want to say this. I close every talk I give to any group I give with this. If you want me to show up at a meeting or a club or any type of function, I'll happily do it. Just ask me. I'd love to be able to answer questions here tonight. I understand that's not in the rules. If anybody has a question tonight, catch me. I'm going to be here till the end and I'll tell you anything that you want to know. Thank you.
2: Because Mark Matney uh, decided not to participate as Commissioner of Revenue candidate. We're allowing David Henry his short amount of time. David Henry. I Oh, sorry. David Henry is a native of Washington County, born and raised in the Bethel community, a graduate of Virginia Tech, elected to Commissioner of Revenue. In 2007, has served in that capacity for the past 12 years. Since elected, he has completed a master certification program for commissioners of revenue at the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service at the University of Virginia. Prior to his election, Mr. Henry worked as a county employee for 11 years. He's the father of two children and lives in Washington County. And I'm sorry I forgot your name. Okay. but welcome to the stage.
6: Thank you Dr. Keller and uh, I'd like to say thanks to the of women voters for making this event possible for us tonight. I also want to thank each and every one of you all. It's been a long night and I appreciate you making the sacrifice to come out and learn a little bit about our campaigns. Uh, for those of you that haven't met me, uh, I've been honored to serve as your commission revenue since January 1st of 2008. As Dr. Keller said, I grew up in a little community. Uh, about halfway between Abbey and Damascus, where I attended uh, public schools here in Washington County, and went on to Virginia Tech to earn my degree in economics in 1992. Uh, while I was in college, I worked with Mr. Parker in the treasurer's office, and I developed a love for public service and uh, county government. Learned a lot of great things from Mr. Parker during my eight years that I worked for him there in the commissioner and the treasurer's office. I handled all the delinquent collections. The judicial stuff over bad debt, things like that, general district court, and it gave me a great foundation uh, to learn about uh, public service and local government in the treasurer's office. Uh, When Mr. Ritchie uh, decided that he was going to retire and not seek re-election, I had the opportunity to work for him for three and a half years in the commissioner's office, uh, completed the H&R Block Tax Certification Program. and and got to learn from really one of the best commissioners of revenue in the state of Virginia. Melvin was a great boss and a wealth of knowledge and he did a lot to prepare me uh, for my first run for commissioner of revenue in the 2007 general elections. I was really fortunate. I won that race. I started serving you all in 2008. Um, had a great staff. I inherited a wonderful office and we continued to grow the discount programs uh, for the elderly and disabled. We now administer the land use program as well, which I'm a huge uh, supporter of. I live on a farm now, and I think agriculture is extremely important for our area. We also administer the veterans tax relief program. All these programs uh, serve some well-deserving people in our community that makes uh, living here and maintaining some family farms um, very doable, and I'm very much in support of that. Some of the accomplishments that we've had in my office, uh, when I say we, I I speak as a team at the commissioner's office, we have a great staff. Uh, We've had clean audits every year that I've been in office. That's really, really important when you're dealing with assessments and and millions of dollars that we assess. We've been physically conservative with your all's money as taxpayers. We've returned over $100,000 in unused budget money since I took office on January 1st, 2008. I'm conservative at home, I'm conservative with your money as taxpayers. I've also earned a master certification through the Weldon Cooper Center of Learning at the University of Virginia. I think education is really important and it's necessary for public servants to serve you all the way you all deserve. Would like to To clear the air on a couple of rumors that have gone on this summer and this fall. Uh, I'm a Second Amendment guy, I'm an avid uh, hunter, I have a concealed carry permit, and I support safe gun ownership. Uh, I hate that my opponent's not here tonight because it gives me, uh, it doesn't give me the opportunity to answer questions and tell you a little bit more about my campaign. Uh, As always, I have an open-door policy in my office. I'm happy to talk to you all if you have any questions, either at my office or out in the lobby tonight after the forum.
0: On the Record is made possible by David Cricker,
1: Delana Matthews, David McKee, Nate Hubbard, and Tim Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.